This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the online accounting software that puts you in control of your freelancer finances. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance. For conversion copywriter, Robbie King. It suddenly dawned on me, hang, hang on a minute, if, if my whole goal is to work remotely, I can kind of just dive into it now and move to Thailand with some savings and just kind of figure it out as I, as I go along. Do you ever meet those people that are just really, really bad with money and they'll get paid and they'll be like, right, now I'm going to go spend half my paycheck on a hat. Well, I'm by default like that with time. I mean, the main challenge being freelance is just marketing yourself. And if you get good at that, then you basically, I think, crack the freelance game. Yeah, so there is Robbie, his story coming up very soon indeed, adding to the plethora of episodes at beingfreelance.com. I say plethora, fancy way of saying nearly 200. And I know that because just before Christmas, we will be putting out episode 200 and you can be there. You can join us for the live episode when we record episode 200. It's going to be at the Freelancers Christmas Party. It's held by Underpinned in London. So if you fancy joining us, make sure you join the community at beingfreelance.com. Basically, I will let you know when tickets are available in October, but that is definitely where I will announce when tickets are available first, right there in the community. So yeah, please go take a look because it would be awesome to have you there. Should be a really fun night. It's on Friday the 13th of December in London. Right then, shall we add another one in that notch towards episode 200 though and chat to this week's guest? That is freelance conversion copywriter Robbie King. Hey, Robbie. Hello, Steve. How are you doing? I am well. How about we get started as ever hearing how you got started being freelance? Yeah. So I started off in ad agencies. I actually went to art school. I did, I did a uh, an animation and uh, filmmaking degree. And, you know, that was that was fun. But when I when I got out of that, I didn't quite know where I wanted to go. I didn't I didn't want to go into the film industry. I didn't I didn't really like that. I wasn't very good at making cups of tea and making sure that ladders didn't fall over. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I, it, it, you know, it took, it took a little head scratching, but after a few chats with some friends, I, I discovered the ad industry. I, I realized that it was very fun and creative and you were working on projects. It was kind of like being back at art school in a, in a way. So I dived headfirst into that and I was, I was in that for about three years. I did a, also a course to, before that to get myself into it, which was, which was quite, um, quite weird and wonderful and interesting. Yeah, the, my whole ad industry experience was um, a great kind of creative boot camp because for those of you who don't know what it's like in an ad agency, you, it's quite an inspiring place. There's a lot going on and there's all kinds of briefs just sort of flying this way and that. And so you can be one day writing on something you know, like a TV ad or a radio ad, or sometimes you're coming up with a, a stunt or a, a social campaign. It's a lot more varied than the Mad Men era. <laughs> Let, let's let's put it that way. So yeah, I I did that for a number of years, but it constantly nagging at me were were a couple of things. Firstly, the hours could be ridiculous. Sometimes they weren't, but all all too often you'd be working Saturdays and Sundays. And for the most part, I wasn't necessarily too bothered by that because it was exciting. So you at least you're kind of 
trading a, your weekend for something quite cool. But as that went on, and as the portfolio um, grew, albeit slowly, I thought, well, all I'm really making is ads here. It would be it would be quite nice to be a little freer with my time and be able to kind of still make work that's sort of you know, works commercially, but then have have my own time to kind of kind of do my own things as well, which I which I'd never never really got the opportunity to do in the ad industry, or I, if I did, it was sort of squeezed into a little bit of a weekend. So I was often thinking there must be a better way. I, I don't think it's it's advertising because I looked at a lot of the people in you know a few years ahead of me and they had certainly had quite impressive careers but I certainly didn't want to be them I didn't want to be several years down the line and have spent a large chunk of my life sitting in an office and only to have made ads and that's that's just me like the ad industry is great and you know if I had a if I had a child and they said daddy I'm going to go into the ad industry, I'd be like, great, it's great, have fun. Uh, but I just I just knew it wasn't for me, really. So I did a little bit of research, and it slowly dawned on me that it was possible to be freelance remotely. Uh, and there was a group of people who have often been called digital nomads, working from wherever they wanted to in the world and kind of kind of making their own rules. So as soon as I figured figured that was an option i thought okay this is this is it this is why i'm gonna go freelance and when was that when did you leave the ad agency um i left advertising um i'd say towards the end of 2016 okay did you have a a plan did you have clients what was it like when you left yeah, I I had some savings. I spent a lot of my time because I was I was working in London and I grew up in London. And I spent I spent a fair amount of time living at home when I was in London with my parents. So I managed to to put a fair fair bit of cash away, and it suddenly dawned on me. Hang hang on a minute. If if my whole goal is to work remotely, I can kind of just dive into it now and move to Thailand, which I did with some savings, and just kind of figure it out as I as I go along. I also on top of that I had my motion graphics and an animation degree. There was already a way for me to to kind of earn a bit of cash. Uh, I already had a, a kind of hard marketable skill that I could that I could work with. So I basically just dived right into it, moved to Thailand. Uh, initially I uh, I made videos on on Upwork just whilst I kind of sort of got my copywriting up up and running as well. And the great thing about, you know, doing it all from Southeast Asia is you can sort of work half the week to get by and then you've got time and extra resources that you can then funnel into something else. That's why you meet a lot of people in startup mode, you know, build, building building businesses from places like Chiang Mai, Thailand or, or Bali, you know, both both places that I, I've lived in and worked in. And what, by the way, what was it at the ad agency? Like, what would have been your role? Were you a copywriter there? What was your? Technically, my my job uh, title was creative. Whenever people ask me what I did, I said, "Oh, I I think of the ads." Because if you say I'm a creative, it's like, okay, well, all right, fancy fancy pants. What does what does that mean? You'd be coming up with the concepts for the adverts and things like that. Exactly. But you didn't plan to do that freelance. Is that because those opportunities don't exist, or had you just had enough and thought I want to do something else? Well, I knew that my advertising skills could could somehow translate into the freelance 
digital marketing world. I knew that there was room for for you know good content writing and building sales funnels and and things like that but i wasn't entirely sure exactly how that would look and because i was just plain impatient and i knew that i could make videos in the meantime i thought i'd just kind of figure it out as i went along really and i so i guess the the title it's freelance conversion copywriter i knew it would be somewhere sort of within that ballpark but that kind of formed organically whilst i was sort of doing doing everything on the road so you're in thailand back in your story that is uh not right now and you're getting work from freelance job sites like upwork and starting to get copywriting work as well so how, how did it build from there the the video work was quite straightforward i got that all from from Upwork, I managed to set up an account. And then I did a couple of jobs just through personal connections, people that I met here and there. But the copywriting stuff, so far, everything's just come from various different places. Some of them have been from just just people that I that I know, just pers- personal connections, pretty, pretty straightforward. Then I'm also in one or two copywriting groups, Facebook groups, Copywriter Club, shout out to the Copywriter Club. Uh, you're all you're you're all lovely. But then also, I mean, get, get this. My one of my first ever clients, I I basically got off a dating app. You were on the dating app trying to find a date, and he said you found a job. Yeah, 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 pr- pretty much. <laughs> it, 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 do you know what? It actually led to quite a weird, ser- quite an awesome, awesomely weird series of events. I was. Um, I might as well tell it. Yeah. I, so I I was in I was in Bali, and I matched with someone as you do, and then she caught dengue fever, uh, which is a horrible horrible uh, tropical disease. But we carried on talking for about a month. She had, she had to go. She had to she had to leave the country. She had to fly home eventually. And we never actually got to see each other. But we carried on talking for about a month or so. And then eventually, I had to go to the states for a uh, a copywriting meetup. And I said to her, "Well, um, I'm going to be in the states." And she was in LA, and the copywriting meetup was all the way in Charleston. But I thought, "Oh, stuff it! I'll I'll just hop on an extra flight. This could be fun." Uh, so I flew two thousand miles for a first date. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> this feels like the lying, the truth and lie section at the end. <laughs> yeah, no, we've got we've we've got more to we've got we've got more to go through with that. So, how did your um, copywriting business start to 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 grow? It's just grown mostly through through networking. Once you've kind of built various relationships with 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 a few people then you you often just get referrals you know got got referrals recently from from fellow copywriters really who uh you know they've either got too much work that they can't handle or they know someone who's looking for look looking for someone to handle their copy and they go oh, i've got the guy speak to Robbie it's it's mostly mostly like that um and i mean another thing also is networking events like i've I I've now started to niche down into the blockchain space as well because although I'm still a, a generalist I've I've had a an interest in in blockchain uh for a couple of years now and I thought you know what I read about this for fun I might as well start writing about it so I've I've been been going to my fair share of uh blockchain events recently and you know pe- people are very 
very happy to talk. And if 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 you say that say that you're a copywriter, sooner or later someone will will need a copywriter. So I'd say that and just being very very active on on LinkedIn and Facebook and just making connections with with fellow copywriters. To me, sat in my, in my dining room, living in Thailand sounds amazing. But how was work life balance in reality when, when you were on the road? Yeah, it's. Um, I'd say the amount of hours that I'd work were probably probably kind of similar to to what I'd end up working in the ad industry, just because that was what I used to. And I thought, well, it's uh, you'd get into that mindset of, oh, it's five o'clock. There's there's still three more hours I can I can do today before I start feeling tired you know it's it's that kind of mindset so because I was in like hardcore just growth mode build the business get get your name out there you end you end up working kind of as as much as you're used to really um because I've now transitioned to this into this life of, of sort of choosing your own hours and everything I have recently kind of taken my foot off the gas here and there where I definitely wouldn't have been able to do in the ad industry and have the kind of as and when I want to the kind of work-life balance that is just just magical you know I'll, I'll sometimes I'll work you know only half the week if I if I can uh or when I was living in Bali for example I'd be like right this week I am going to surf every single day before work and you know this is this is why why I chose this life. Why wouldn't I do this? I'd say here and there, work life balance can be sort of noticeably more 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 beautiful than than it was in the ad industry. So you mentioned that you'd meet like startups and stuff in Asia, for example. Were you meeting lots of digital nomads? Was there a, a community? Were you making friends, but not just friends, like people who who would understand what you were going through while you were out there? Yeah, yeah. The digital nomad community is uh, is is a pretty vibrant one, actually. And what's so cool about it is you. It's very it's very interesting meeting people who are from a completely different corner of the world, but they're basically one of your mates back home, but with a different accent. It's really fun seeing the surprising similarities. And I mean, I guess this kind of goes with all forms of travel, but it's kind of when you're living like this, you get more time to kind of really get to know people from other countries. So the whole, yeah, the whole kind of nomad scene was really fun in that regard from the, from the social angle. And and also it's really really nice uh working in co-working spaces because that's where I that's where I've done most of my work from the past couple of years. And I think the great thing about co-working spaces is one a lot of them are really really quiet. Whilst that agencies were fun, so quite often they're a bit too fun. They they play music and there were ping pong tables and and it was it was kind of like a it was it was basically biker grove you know the, <laughs> yeah co-working spaces are great sanctuaries of focus and then also because everyone wasn't sort of forced to be there and that you there wasn't well there wasn't the same kind of you must you, you must uh conform to the office culture kind of thing there was just a, a very a very relaxed vibe that I that I really really dug. You know, uh, sometimes sometimes offices, if if you f- if you feel like you don't fit in there, can maybe ostracize 
people to a certain extent. And you know, if you don't if you don't want to go to the drinks on Friday, then that's a big no no, and th- things like that. And um, I mean, I, for the most part, I quite like the drinks on Friday, but sometimes I couldn't be bothered. And so, at least in co working spaces, if I couldn't be bothered to go to the drinks on Friday, then then you know, you were you were kind of free to 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 do what you wanted, really. And what what's been the biggest challenge of being freelance and being on the road? Uh, oh, those are two different questions, really. Ah, okay. <laughs> I mean, the main challenge being freelance is just marketing yourself. You wake up uh, certain days and you're like, "Holy moly, I've got this job, and then I've got a retainer." But you know, then in a, in, a, in a few weeks' time, I'm I'm not going to have a paycheck. What's what's going to happen? So that that is the that's the challenge we all face. And if you get good at, at that, then you basically, I think, crack the freelance game. The other challenge, I think, to being freelance is, um, I think, just being self-disciplined. I meet a lot of people that are like, oh, you're freelance. Oh, God, I could never do that. I, I could never, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't whip myself every Monday morning to get to, get to work. The better, I think the better you are at sort of being really honest with yourself about how how you're spending your time and and you know whether whether you whether you do need to be working on a Saturday night and just being really really objective about about how to use your time efficiently. I think that's that's the main challenge. And I'm I can be great with time when I really put my mind to it, but I think by default I am with time. Like, do you ever meet those people that are just really, really bad with money, and they'll and they'll get paid, and they'll and they'll be like, right now I'm gonna go spend half my paycheck on a hat. Well, I'm by default like that with time. I'm I'm a bit too free with it, and I suddenly look at the clock. I'm like, oh damn it, I didn't that didn't mean to take so long. I make a kind of conscious effort to be the opposite of that. And, you know, Trello, Trello is my, is my best friend and I do the Pomodoro method whenever I can. Yeah. That, that's, that, that's, that's certainly my, my biggest challenge besides getting, getting a constant stream of clients. As for the, on the roading, by far the biggest challenge of, of the whole digital nomad thing is cultivating a meaningful social life. And what I mean by that is the, the, the double-edged sword of living like this is that there's all this excitement and novelty and there are new people constantly coming into your life, but they're also going, going out of your life because most people are in town for maybe a month, two months, sometimes more, sometimes less. And it can be it can it can be a number of things. Firstly, it can just be heartbreaking having to say goodbye to really good friends all too often. Like I've made and lost a lot of best friends in the in the past eighteen months. And then also, it can also make a lot of social interactions. Um, you treat them as if they're slightly if they're kind of meaningless because every every single interaction that you that you new or new relationship that you make when you're when you're on the road you're constantly thinking well this person could sort of disappear in a in a few weeks which is quite a weird a weird way to live like normally if you're you know if you're if you're in one place the general assumption is that if you make a friend they could be a friend for as as long as you you'd want to uh, or, or, you know, as long as you as long as you'd want to be friends for. Whereas, quite often, if you're if you make a friend and then suddenly in three weeks they're like, "Bye," that kind of flips the whole dynamic, and you think, "Well, 
okay, it, 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 how 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 gregarious do I should should I be if I mean this is just sort of getting getting into a slight spiral of thought here, but then you think, well, how gregarious should I be if every other person that I meet is almost going to be dead in a few weeks that's that's getting a little bit a little a little bit crazy uh, the, the flip side of that is then you sort of you see someone uh you, you become best friends with someone uh for a couple of months in say thailand and then you you jump to i don't know bali or vietnam and then you're like oh my god you're here too and then it's and then it's all exciting again so it's 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 got its benefits as well and because everyone's often living quite slightly more sociable lives than they would do in a big city you kind of create memories a little a little quicker than you would if you were living you know back back in you know back in a, in a in a normal city so it's it's got it's it's this bizarre mind mush of way to have have relationships really mm. now i always do this thing where i ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie what have you got for me, Robbie? So, I am 2010's 4,945th best DJ in the world. <laughs> uh, if if you can name a specific occasion, I can remember exactly what I was wearing. So, if you if you said Christmas Eve 2010, I could tell you exactly what I was wearing. Uh, and then the next one is. A Balinese farmer named his favourite cow after me when I saved the cow's life. <laughs> okay, you are 2010's nth number best DJ. On what scale? Like, how how is that the case? I used to DJ a lot, and uh, within maybe my circle of friends and kind of their friends, within a smallish circle, I, you know, me and me and a buddy of mine had some kind of a. I guess a fan base you would call it, and then one one year I just got an email from DJ Mag saying, uh, "Yeah, you've been voted four thousand nine hundred and forty fifth best DJ in the world," <laughs> as you do. So, so it didn't make it into DJ Mag, but they let you know. No, they only put the top one hundred in there. Outrage. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not nipping at David Guetta's heels by any means. Um, occasion wearing. This is so weird. Okay, so. What were you wearing the day that Harry and Meghan got married? Um, what what date was that? If you told me the date, then I could go into my calendar and remember what I was doing on that day. But if you if you could tell me what I could picture that day and then and then picture what I was wearing. Okay, what were you wearing on Easter Sunday, twenty thirteen? Twenty thirteen, so I would have been twenty three. Like we can check. I no, I do know what I was wearing. I was wearing my a green shirt, a green shirt that used to belong to my dad, and because I I remember I sp- I spent it at my at my grandma's, and I was wearing a green shirt that that used to belong to my dad, and I was wearing I only own about two or three pairs of trousers, so I know I was wearing uh, black jeans from Primark and red socks. Uh, yeah. <sighs> Oh my god. Uh, this is tough because I really want this next one to be true. What happened to the cow? How did you save it? Uh, well, it was just a very busy road. I mean, Bali has a huge problem with traffic and um this was peak rush hour and the there was just a hole in the fence and one of the cows had had just walked through 
And I didn't see this unfolding, but it must have just been trying to cross. And then just a whole deluge of traffic uh, suddenly came along and it was kind of stranded in the middle of the road with cars kind of going around it and a lot of, a lot of hon- honking. Um, and I, I was walking and this, this road doesn't really have a path. Like in a lot of Southeast, sort of Southeast Asian roads don't really have, have pavement pavements. And if there are certain roads that aren't really meant to be walked along, but I, but my, my scooter wasn't working. And so I, I just decided to walk. And all these cars were just going around this cow and the cow looked pretty distressed. And I just, yeah, I just thought uh, maybe saving the cow's life is a little bit of an exaggeration, but that was certainly the farmer's reasoning. And I just, yeah, I, I was, I just said to the traffic, I kind of gestured at the traffic. I was like, guys, can you, can you see what's going on here? If we all just slow down for two seconds, this cow is going to get out of the road and, and everything is going to be okay. And then, um, and then, yeah, I, I took the cow to the other side of the road and the farmer was like in quite broken English, English. He was like, you, you, you understand favorite cow. What, what is your name? And I was like, I'm, my name's Robbie. There we, there we go. Cow. I call Robbie. I was like, cool. <laughs> okay. Right. I don't know. Well, I want that to be true. It's very disappointing if it isn't. The occasion wearing one feels like it should be true because it's so weird to make up. I can't test it. It's it's just so odd that it feels like that must be true. And yet I want you to be the 4,000th whatever bestie. So I'm going to say you're, the DJ Mag one is not true. The lie, I'm very, I'm very sorry to disappoint you, Steve, but the lie was uh, the cow. Yeah. Oh, what a shame. I know. I go over to Bali just to visit Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Just just keep going. Just bang your head against the wall until it stops hurting. Because if you stick at something long enough and uh, you know that there are there are enough voices around you to tell you where you're going wrong, uh, which aren't difficult to find, things will i think always work out um i don't i don't know anyone that's stuck at something long enough and and haven't got got what they wanted so just yeah just keep banging your head against the wall until it stops hurting excellent robbie thank you so much go to beingfreelance.com as ever there will be links to what robbie's up to uh so his website you can find him online and uh, whilst you're there as well uh, check out the other episodes of course click through to the link to join us in the community uh, which is always good fun live q a's the non-employee of the week awards and just loads of support from freelancers around the world uh, in fact for that matter there's a really good live q a that we did with kelly dunning who was a digital nomad as well so you can um watch Watch hers on the replay. Uh, that's there. And if you're a freelancing parent, remember to check out the other podcast, which I do, which is back now. It is Doing It For The Kids. It's only about 20 minutes. It's a Q&A type one with me and Frankie from the Doing It For The Kids community. So search for Doing It For The Kids. Um, but for now, Robbie, thanks so much and all the best being freelance. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.